Today's reading is from Acts 28, uh, 17 to 31. After three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken, spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, he came to them at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expanded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved, and disagreed amongst themselves. They departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Israel the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Least they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known that the salvation of God has sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. He lived there two whole years, at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Well, folks, I don't know if it's a happy day or a sad day, but we are right at the end now. This is the final episode in our series through the book of Acts. Uh, we have been going at this for quite a long time, uh, from the beginning of January right up until now. So this has been a long teaching series, but we've been taking our time through it because there is so much in there for us to learn as a young, small church, just starting out in our expedition, really, um, with the mission of God. And so today we come to this final episode, and it takes place in the city of Rome. Quite a lot has happened since the last time that we opened the book of Acts back in chapter 20. And so today it's going to be a kind of final charge, a final encouragement uh, for us to take home a sort of summary of everything we've been learning, and just hopefully God through his spirit will challenge us uh, together as his church. So what I want to say, I want to say two things that, that really jump out of this text. Uh, the first thing uh, that we're going to see together is because, number one, because the gospel powerfully advances, we will not be beat down. Because the, power, the gospel powerfully advances, we will not be beaten down. And secondly, because the gospel powerfully advances, we will attempt great things for God. We will not be beat down, and we will attempt great things for God. They are the two things I want you to take home today. So, because the gospel powerfully advances, we've been seeing that week after week after week after week through the book of Acts, we will not be beat down. As I mentioned a few moments ago, the, the action that we've just read here takes place in Rome, uh, last week we left Paul, he was on his way back to Jerusalem, he was just completing his third uh, missionary journey, remember he was spending time with the Ephesian elders, he was teaching them, 
uh, and yet he, he makes it onwards to Jerusalem. And uh, in chapter 21 of the book of Acts, we're not going to look at it, um, there's riots stirred up when Paul arrived in Jerusalem. He was arrested by the Romans because he was about to get torn limb from limb. And he was taken eventually up to Caesarea, a city in the north of Judea, uh, for his own protection. And uh, the, as the story unfolds, he, he, he appears before the, the Roman governor, a man called Felix, and he presents the good news of Jesus over a two-year period, multiple meetings. And then again, he presents the good news of Jesus to, to the next governor of, uh, of that region, a guy called Festus. And he presents the good news of Jesus to Herod, King Herod Agrippa. Each time, he has been telling them about the good news of Jesus. And so we find him eventually making his way up to Rome under armed guards to have his case heard before Caesar. You see, even though he had done nothing wrong, and he hadn't caused any riots or done anything to, to, to cause the death penalty, the Jewish uh, leaders in these various cities wanted the death penalty to apply be applied to Paul. They wanted him gone. He was too much of a troublemaker. Let's get rid of him. And so because of that, he appealed to Caesar to have his case heard of the highest court in the entire land. And so that's what we see here. We've got Paul in Rome for this final episode. And this is, this is really superb. This is really superb because if you remember as far back as our first ever talk in this series, Jesus, before he rose up to ascended at the right hand of the Father, said to his uh, apostles and disciples, he said, uh, I'm going uh, to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send uh, the power of God upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so that, that, that has been playing through the book of Acts. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. And as we've been going through the series, we have seen that program opening up more and more, going further and further out with the good news of Jesus, and eventually we end up here at the end of the earth in, in Rome. Uh, in some ways, it's the end of the earth. In another way, it's the center of the earth at that known time. Paul came to the center of power, the Roman Empire. He came to, before, he's coming to before the most powerful man in the world. He was going to bring Caesar the gospel. He hoped to change the world by sharing the good news with, with Caesar. Paul has the attitude, I'm going to go big, I'm going to go right to the top man, I'm going to share the good news of Jesus with him, just like I shared it with the governors and with the kings and those in power. But if you're anything like me when you read through the book of Acts and you finish right here, it's a bit gutting, because we never hear how Paul gets on. Luke doesn't carry on Acts 29 and Acts 30 and shares the good news about how Paul appears before Caesar, he doesn't do that. That's never part of the story. And it's a bit gutting. And in fact, instead of a, uh, an awesome you know, ending to the, the series finale, it feels almost like an anti-climax. We don't, we don't know what happened to Paul. And so here we are in Rome anyway. Paul is in, in custody. He's under house arrest. And in our text, he, uh, he has been inviting Jewish leaders to tell them all about Jesus, Jewish leaders within the city of Rome. He is desperate to win the Jews, right? He's desperate to win his fellow Jews. We've seen that time and again. Every time he goes into a new country or a new region uh, on his missionary journeys, the first thing he did was to seek out the Jewish community because he's thinking to himself, if I can win the Jewish community, uh, if they can turn to Christ, then they can influence the entire city. They can bring the entire city to Jesus Christ. That's why he did it. This is his final shot. So he's in Rome and he wants 
to, to share the good news with the Jewish leaders and, and by the grace of God, see them uh, accept Christ. It says in verse 23 of our text today, uh, when they came to see him uh, in great numbers, it says from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. You just get the feeling of Paul here, right? Just trying, trying with all of his might, with every ounce of his strength, with all of his mental abilities, pleading with them, teaching with them, you know, declaring, explaining the good news of Jesus, using all of his powers of persuasion. He gave it both barrels so that he might win the Jews of Rome to Jesus Christ. And you note that he did it by opening up the scriptures, by taking the law of Moses and the prophets and showing them all about Jesus from the Hebrew scriptures, from the Old Testament. What was he saying to them? He was saying to his Jewish friends who came to visit him, the leaders of that city, he said, all your hopes, all of your expectations, all of your longing wrapped up in our religion, that has all come to, to, to fulfillment, that's all come to completion in Jesus of Nazareth. All those things that you've been looking at, all the worship style of the Old Testament, all of that has been preparing you to receive Jesus as the Messiah. And now he's come and put your faith in him and turn to him. He is the fulfillment and completion of all that you have ever wanted. And if you do that, if you receive Jesus as the Messiah, everything in our religion will click into place. Everything will come home. And so from morning to evening, he was expounding and testifying and persuading with everything he's got. But do you notice as well, when Paul was reading, the response from the Jewish leaders was, let's just say, muted, to say the least. Paul longed to see the Jews turning to Jesus Christ. And yet here in Rome, and many other occasions throughout all of his missionary journeys, he never saw the Jews turning in significant number to Jesus. What an anticlimax. All this hard work, all this persuasion, all these weeks and months and years serving Jesus, and yet still the Jews would not turn to Christ. How disappointing. And then we see Paul quoting from this Old Testament prophecy, this old famous prophecy from Isaiah chapter 6. It's from verses 26 and 27. And, and in so doing, he's quoting from Isaiah and he's saying to his, his fellow Jews, the Jewish leaders in Rome, he's saying, look, brothers, the same thing is happening right now in, in, in our hearing. He said, you're, you're, you're hearing the good news of Jesus. I'm telling it to you, but you're not understanding it. You're not putting two and two together. You're seeing the picture that I'm painting of Jesus and yet you're not perceiving him. You're not receiving him in your hearts. He says, your hearts have grown Dull in verse 27. You people won't connect the dots. You, you refuse to see the light. Why did he pick this quote from Isaiah to make this point? Well, if you're at all familiar with, with Isaiah, he may or may not be, but if, you, if you're familiar with the, the book of Isaiah, it, this prophecy comes at a time when, when Isaiah himself, the Old Testament, the great Old Testament prophet, he was given a message from God uh, to declare to God's people. He was given a message of salvation to take to the people of Israel. And Isaiah, the great Old Testament prophet Isaiah, was told by God, you're going to preach my message. You're going to take the good news to the people. And you know what? 
They're not going to listen to you. They won't have it. In fact, you will take the good news to them and it will harden their hearts. It will turn them off rather than turn them on. You, Isaiah, will have the ministry of failure. Are you up for it? We've seen, haven't we, so far in this series, those of you who've been tracking uh, with us, with the teaching, that, that, that there, are, there are loads of people that we've come across in the scriptures, in, in the book of Acts, who seem close to the gospel. You know, just various people groups, various communities that just seem ripe to understanding the gospel, like, like the Jews. And we've been thinking as we've been going through uh, this teaching series uh, of our own experiences and our own understanding and, and people out there that we know of who are outside uh, the Christian faith and yet they just seem so close and uh, they seem so ripe for understanding the gospel, whether that is our, our, our friends from a Roman Catholic tradition who share very much of a similar framework that we would accept, but yet there are crucial differences. They just don't understand the gospel as it's taught in the Bible. Or maybe it's our, our, our Muslim friends that we think of who are open, more open than, than most to spiritual things. They have an understanding of God. They have a, an awareness of Jesus. And maybe, maybe we, we think, yes, they're so close. They seem to be close and ripe for the gospel, but they, they, just, they just reject. They don't understand. They don't want to know. Even in our own context here in Northern Ireland, there are thousands of people, let's face it, there are thousands of people who may share a similar background to you, who've been brought up in a church environment, who've gone to Sunday school, you know, gone to holiday Bible club. They, they've heard the gospel in some way, and we think, oh my goodness, they are so close. And yet, for whatever reason, they have, they have walked away. Thousands of people in our own land who are just like that. They know all the stuff, and yet it hasn't, hasn't changed their heart. We just think, if they just get it, if the penny just drops, then, then we might see a huge wave of salvation and of conversions in our own land. And, and that would be awesome. Isn't that what we want? That's what we desire, right? We'd love that. Thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus for the penny to just drop for some people. But as we're seeing here in the Scripture, even, even in the case of the Apostle Paul, for some reason, for some reason, this just does not seem to happen in his experience. There's never any click. The door doesn't pop open in this occasion for Paul. We, we, we hope for a movement of God. We, we, we want to do all that we, we are called to do. We share the gospel. You know, we're offering ministry as a church. We, we live out uh, the truth in community. We, we, we show love, the love of Jesus in real and practical ways. We do all the things that we are called to do and, and yet we see no response. And that's just disappointing. Disappointing. The gospel, of course, cuts both ways. It just does. You know, it is good news for some people. It's good news for everyone, really. Some people receive it as good news, but, but many people receive it as an offense. Because the gospel goes deep. Right? That famous uh, verse from Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God you know, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It just pierces to the deepest levels of the human person, the, the human mindset. It, it pierces right into our thoughts and the very intentions of our hearts. And it goes on to say that, 
that, that nothing is hidden, nothing it, it, it can, can hide from God's word, from God's vision, from his, his, his view. We are all in some ways naked and exposed before God, and that is just an unpleasant thought, right? It's a scary thought, it's a fearsome thought. And so many people just push that away. They don't want it. They, they, build, they build walls around their hearts. They harden themselves. They don't want it. They reject it. It requires too much of me. I'll have to give up too much. I'll have to stop doing all these things. I'll, I, can't, I can't possibly accept that. And so they remain resistant. Paul saw this. Time and again, he saw this. But yet his hope for Israel was never realized. And he was not beaten down. He was disappointed, yes, but he was not discouraged. And we, we see him here as an old man, and we see him in his letters as an old man. He doesn't give up. He is still going hard after God. He is still sharing the gospel as passionately as he has ever done. And so the question that I want to ask and, and try and think through the answer to is how does he maintain his enthusiasm for the gospel of Jesus for such a long time? How does he manage not to get beaten down despite discouragements and disappointments along the way. He wrote from his prison cell these words, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul worked out that to live for Christ and Christ alone, who is all in all, to follow him for who he is, to trust him and obey him no matter what, that is what life is about. That's how Paul did not get beat down when things didn't go his way. See, folks, um, this uh, series in the book of Acts has been uh, something that I've been te teaching myself. I've been preaching this sermon to myself. And today is no different, so please hear me. You know, I'm, I'm talking to myself here um, all the time. But if we only serve Jesus when we have a certain outcome in mind. If we only serve him to get a certain set of results that we want, then we'll end up bitter and discouraged and down when we don't see what we want, when we want it. And we conclude, therefore, well, it's not worth it. I'm just going to give up. I'm going to back off. I'm going to go into myself. You see, if we demand a certain outcome, then we're not really serving Jesus at all. We're serving ourselves. We just use him to get what we want. If we don't get the results, we just give up, we abandon the mission, we walk away. But Paul says, for me to live is Christ. And when we understand that, that brings us tremendous freedom. That meant that he could serve God no matter what the outcome is. He could be faithful anytime because he already had the greatest treasure. So the question is this. Would you go about serving God, expounding the gospel, testifying to his good work in your life? Would you use all of your energy to talk about Jesus, even if no one ever responds? That's not how church planters like to think, is it? Sure it's not. No one wants to fail. I don't want to start a church with the intention of no one ever coming to it and nothing ever working out for us. But sure as anything, Isaiah 6 and Paul's statement here just tests our motivations. If God called you in the way that he called Isaiah, I want you to go and preach a message and no one's going to listen, would you do it? 
William Carey has been known as the father of modern missions. But this was a title that was given to him only after he was dead and gone. Because at the time, he didn't feel like he was the father of anything significant at all. He didn't feel like he achieved very much. He was born in 1761. He was raised in a small village in the middle of England. He became an apprentice cobbler as a young boy. He came to faith in Christ as a young man, and he, he got himself a second-hand, a borrowed uh, Greek grammar textbook, and he taught himself the New Testament in the original language of Greek. He married a woman called Dorothy Plackett, but times were hard. They lost their first child, age two. Week after week, month after month, William Carey was eking out a pitiful living. His business was doing poorly. Eventually, he trained and became a Baptist minister. And as a result of his understanding of God and the gospel, he moved his family to India to bring the good news of Jesus to the people of India. And when he was in India, his friends deserted him. Illness and loneliness and regret were his constant companions. He wrote in his journal, I am a, in a strange land, he said, with no Christian friends, a large family and nothing to supply their wants. Another son of his died of dysentery aged five. His wife developed a severe mental illness requiring her to be confined and physically restrained. There was no treatment available in those days for severe mental illness. His first convert came after seven years of hard graft. It wasn't the revival and the breakthrough that he hoped for. After 41 years of ministry in India without a single trip home, at best, there were 700 converts. Quite a good number, you might think. But a very modest number from a nation of millions of people. He hoped that thousands would turn to Jesus. And yet, when you read his writings, William Carey was a man who was not beat down. Throughout his life, he drove on with a, a deep desire and a singular purpose to bring the gospel to the people of India. He was not beat down. He said in his journals, This indeed is the valley of the shadow of death for me. But I rejoice that I am still here and God is still here and his word is sure. Where does he get that from? How does someone have such discouragement and trial and sadness in his life and yet has this amazing hope? It's because he knows that the gospel powerfully advances one way or another. He knows that God's purposes shall come about, that God is working out all things to a glorious end. And he said, along with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I wonder this morning, as you sit here listening to this, are you beat down? then may I challenge you, look at your heart, follow Christ for who he is. Because the gospel powerfully advances, we will not be beat down. Second point, 
because the gospel powerfully advances, we will attempt great things for God. I have really enjoyed, personally, studying through the book of Acts. I, I've come, I think, to understand Paul in a, in, a, in a new light, in a different way. I feel like I know him a lot better. Um, I've really enjoyed that. Uh, he is such an inspiration. He, he does whatever it takes to get the gospel out. He goes wherever he needs to go to get the gospel out. He is a radical lover and follower of Jesus. And it's just been great to, to see him work and get to know him better through the book of Acts. And here he is. Here's Paul. Finally, he's made it into Rome. This has been his desire for many, many months. I want to go to Rome. I want to preach the gospel to Caesar. He, he goes big. I love that vision. I love that desire. And so here he is under house arrest in Rome, right? He, he, he's renting a place at his own expense. He's most often going to be chained up to a, uh, a Roman guard to make sure he doesn't run off. Um, but yet within that house arrest, there is a certain amount of, of liberty. He's not free to move around the city of Rome to his own pleasure, but he is at liberty to invite friends and guests and, and anyone who will hear him to his house. And no doubt as time went on, and Paul was probably here for several years in this state, uh, you know, numbers increased as word about him spread throughout the city. And here's the awesome bit. In verse 31, it tells us that Paul, sitting here week after week, month after month, was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, and these last two words are really important, and without hindrance. Which is awesome, because if you think back over the stuff that Paul has gone through over the last 20, 30 years of his life, we've seen in the book of Acts, he has had hindrance after hindrance after hindrance. People want him dead, right? They chase him out of the city. You know, they misunderstand him. They beat him down. They, they stone him several times. And yet here it is, right? And this is the real win. This is the climax. The gospel powerfully advances. Here he is in Rome, the center of all power of the known world. And he is preaching the gospel, those last two words, without hindrance. This has almost never happened to Paul until now. And he's in prison. You just can't make this stuff up. No one is stopping him from preaching the gospel. He is exercising this powerful gospel ministry while he's got his liberty taken away, while he's chained up. So according to Luke, who, who wrote the book of Acts, as far as he's concerned, the gospel has made it. It's arrived. So many people heard the gospel from this old man chained up to a Roman guard in some third-story apartment in the uh, east side of Rome. But you know what he did? He didn't just sit there talking about the gospel, as amazing that was. He wrote, he wrote letters. At least these four letters were written from that room. The letter to Colossians, the letter to the Ephesians, the letter to the Philippians, and the second letter to Timothy. A big chunk of the New Testament was constructed when Paul was chained up in prison. And according to John Stott, the great uh, Bible teacher uh, and, and vicar from the previous century, he said that these letters, these four letters, bear a common thread. They are rich with the themes of the supremacy of Jesus, his lordship. Jesus Christ is the unrivaled lord of all. He is the one who has the name above every name. And all this stuff comes out from his prison experience. And this is how the book of Acts ends. Paul is chained up, right? But the gospel is not chained up. In fact, if anything, it's freer than it's ever been. And so, look, if we understand this, and this, this is really key to, to what I'm going to just, I just want to leave before you this, this, this morning. If we understand this, 
if we understand the gospel is never chained up, that it powerfully advances, we will attempt great things for God. We will. The gospel is unhindered. There is nothing stopping us. And if we get that, then we will have the attitude of what have we got to lose? We're we're a community on mission here at Foundation Church. Is there anything that we cannot do? In God's great story, attempt great things for God. By the way, do you know where that phrase came from? Attempt great things for God. came from William Carey. He said in one sermon, uh, before he left for India and his family, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. We've seen how tough William Carey had it. And yet we've seen how he was sustained through all this tragedy and sadness and disappointment by his great big vision of God, of Jesus Christ and his splendor and his limitless beauty and his grace and in his love poured out upon sinful people, messed up people like us. And when you see God as William Carey saw him, then you start to expect great things from him. Meaning you'll start to attempt great things for him. See, as the gospel powerfully advances, there are no restrictions on what you can attempt for God. There is no dream too big that you can have. There is no vision too great that God cannot supply. But let me just be clear, by the way, folks, it doesn't mean that everything that you necessarily conceive of will come to pass. It doesn't mean that that your dream is God's dream, that, that sometimes because God's plan is not your plan, it's not our plan. But within the greatness of God and who he is, it calls it out of us to attempt great things for God. Kerry, as we've seen, had much disappointment and sadness in his life, but he wasn't called the father of modern missions for no reason at all. In fact, close after his arrival in, in, in India, northeast India, he set about learning the Bengali language. Okay, this is amazing. Within weeks, within weeks, he started translating the Bible into Bengali and started preaching to small gatherings. That is not easy. Kerry continued to expect great things from God. Over the next 28 years, he translated the entire Bible into India's major languages, Bengali, Oriya, Marathi, Hindi, Assamese, Sanskrit, and part of 209 other languages and dialects. Not only that, he sought social reform in India, including the abolition of infanticide, the killing of babies. Uh, he, has, he sought the abolition of widow burning, a, a strange and peculiar practice among certain parts of Indian population, and assisted suicide. Not only that, he founded the Serampore College in 1818, which is still going today. And every year, two and a half thousand students in that part of India come for their theological and their arts education. He made great strides, and yet despite all these amazing things that he attempted and achieved for God, he never saw the conversion of the Indian peoples in his day. But do you know why he was called the father of the modern missions movement? It's because his example and his teaching challenged and stimulated many, many more men and women to do exactly the same thing in different countries. Hudson Taylor went to China because of Carey's example. 
David Livingstone went to Africa because of Kerry's example. Thousands of others were inspired by him. Mission boards and societies were set up, resulting in hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, hearing the gospel of Jesus because they followed after the example of William Carey, the father of modern missions. Folks, as we close out, we've been saying week after week, we are a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission, and we've been saying that the gospel is powerfully advancing. So come on, church. What are we going to do? What are we going to attempt in the name of Jesus? What audacious goals are we going to set ourselves because of all that we have seen and heard and learned in the book of Acts? Remember back in March, we hosted a concert over in, our, in the main hall, didn't we? And uh, we had the Watoto Children's Choir come over and help us, and that was awesome. And there's over 200 people came to that event. And there's only 20 of us, pretty much, in that team, give or take, who organized that, and yet we were able to put on an invite and, and, and have 200 plus people come along, 200 people who heard the gospel of Jesus. Several of those responded to the gospel of Jesus. So based on all that we've been learning in the book of Acts, what can we do next? Let's do it again. Let's, let's, let's believe for 350 people next time. Let's, let's pray for standing room only next time. Last Christmas. We had about 50 people, give or take, at our Christmas service. Outsiders and visitors heard the gospel who never go to church. They connected with us. They experienced something of the love of Jesus in the way that we were together, just for those few minutes together, singing carols and enjoying each other's company. Let's prepare for 100 this Christmas. Let's pray for 100. Let's expect 100. Let's invite 100, 200. What audacious goals are we going to set because of what we've seen in Acts? Last year in 2018, we baptized one person. This year, in the next 12 months, let's ask God for two. We've got to start somewhere, right? Let's ask for more. Let's attempt more. Let's form meaningful relationships with the local schools and see where it takes us. Let's increase our sacrificial giving and see what God does with it. Let's take on a new staff member and watch what happens as the church is built. Let's take God at his word. Let's pray like it really matters. Let's operate in the gifts of the Spirit, just like the Bible says. Let's attempt great things for God because the gospel is powerfully advancing. So what else can we do except attempt great things for God? Will you stand with me just now and we'll, we'll pray. Folks, I hope that this teaching series that we've been working away at for the last six months has stirred you, has encouraged you, has challenged you. But let's not just let it stay in our heads and, 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 and be emotionally stirred. Let's, let's allow that to continue. Let's, let's allow that stirring and pray for that stirring to continue in our hearts and in our church. That God and what he has started and what he has shown us, that we're a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. That doesn't just stop because the teaching series is finished. May that carry on as we progress and as we lean in and as we 
expect more and pray for more and, and, and just use the resources that God has given us. Let's, let's open our hearts for more of what he wants to do. The gospel is powerfully advancing. Do you believe that? Let's pray and then we'll come to a time of response through song and response through communion. Father God, would you stir our hearts with a greater vision of what you have done for us in Jesus Christ and who you are and what limitless gifts you have given us at our disposal so that we might be part of your plan to grow the kingdom of God, develop the church, push back the darkness with the light of Jesus Christ. Father, we repent. If we have got a too small a vision of you, if we are too faithless, if we, if we have just been so concerned with ourselves, Father, we repent of our sin. We, we turn to you. Would you refresh us again, Lord Jesus, with who you are and with what you've done? And Lord, continue to stir our hearts with a passion for you. Father, whatever it is you placed in our hearts to do, would you give us confidence to, to, to start that conversation? Lord, would you help us to shoot high for you as a church? Lord, would you help us to expect more from you and attempt more for you because you are a great God and you love us eternally through the blood of Jesus. So Father, fill us, we pray, afresh for this mission. Empower us and equip us by your Spirit. And Father, keep on teaching us, we pray now, as we respond to you, as we cry out to you, I'm going to build my life upon Jesus. It's my firm foundation. As we take the bread that points to the body of Christ and the wine that, that reminds us of his blood. Would you stir us? Would you teach us? Would you strengthen us? In his name we pray. Amen.